thanks to all those who have been involved in today, uh, to Chloe and the worship band. Strangely emotional, perhaps not strangely emotional, um, but when we sung 10,000 Reasons, um, some of you may remember nearly a decade ago when I was in, inducted, induced, I don't know what the word is, when I was sworn in as, as, as vicar here in the parish with the bishop in the building here, one of the songs that we had was um, 10,000 Reasons. And if you remember, he, he, the bishop, who was the bishop at the time, commented, at that point we had loads of lights around the, around the font to remind people that's where we kind of took a collection at that point. And he said he'd never been in a church with as much bling. And now we've got a lot more fairy lights, although we've taken them off the font. But there we go. So that was yeah, nearly a, a decade ago. And um, special to be here today. Before I go any further, what I, what I really do need to do is just get a selfie with you all in, if that's all right. So if you can all, if you can all lean in a bit, huddle together for warmth, those of you that can. I can't have to take one that side. I don't want to miss anyone out on that side. I look really strange in this photo. I look strange in every photo, to be honest, but there we go. It's very important. Um, some of you uh, may be aware, today, the kind of the Church of England has a thing called the lectionary and has a kind of a, a calendar that runs every three years. Today is known as Christ the King. Uh, it's the Sunday before Advent starts. Next Sunday, first Sunday in Advent. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows that I get excited about Christmas back in early, sort of July. Uh, and then we hit Advent next week, um, which is exciting. But today is also known, it's got another name. Does anyone know what today traditionally is called? Oh, go on. Anthea, and I heard someone muttering over here, Stir Up Sunday. Traditionally, this was the Sunday, and people didn't necessarily know why it was called Stir Up Sunday, but this is the Sunday when everyone after the church service goes home and stirs their Christmas pudding. So then that's, that's why it kind of became colloquially known as Stir Up Sunday. I'm sure you've all got Christmas puddings at home. You all need to go home and stir. Not so much these days. It's Waitrose, isn't it? Other shops are available, Lidl and everywhere in between. Um, but the reason it was called Stir Up Sunday, and the reason I started this, is because it comes from a prayer, a collect for today. Again, the Church of England has prayers for every day, and the collect for this Sunday, Sunday, um, Christ the King, the Sunday before Advent, it's in old language, but it's actually a really good prayer. And it's a really good prayer, I think, for us and our hearts. So I'm going to start with this prayer. Is that all right? Listen to this prayer. It's a prayer. It's actually a really good prayer for me as a leader to pray, but for us as a people to pray for the church in the nation in these days. The collect for today, the prayer for today goes like this. Stir up, O Lord, the wills of your faithful people that they, plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works, may by you be plenteously rewarded. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It's a good prayer, isn't it? Yeah, Lord, would you stir us up. Thank you, Jan, for reading that passage so beautifully. I lost Jan. I saw her. Yes, the Jan. Thank you, Jan. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's what I'm going to speak on today. There's a few things in there that you can pick out. Celebrate God's goodness. Fix whatever's broken between you and others. Build each other up. Be united in purpose heart and soul rest 
in the goodness of God. Amen. No, I'm not done. I'm not done. <laughs> Some of you thought, yes, finally, after 10 years. <laughs> but that is what I'm going to speak on very briefly. I will, promisely. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this precious family, young and old, both church communities, different congregations, but one family. Lord, thank you for the privilege and joy of being able to serve. Lord, not lead over them, but serve alongside them, to learn from them, to grow together with them. Lord, where we've grown uh, in love for you, for one another, thank you for your goodness that we've seen amongst us. And Lord, we dare to believe that you want to do more. Lord, this isn't the end, this is just a new beginning. So Father, help us in that, and as we reflect briefly on these words this morning, would you help us to hear what it is you're saying to us through your spirit this morning as we celebrate together in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul reaches the end of this letter. Two months we've been doing Corinthians. Uh, Corinthians 1 and then Corinthians 2. And, and, and Paul gets to the end, this, this last bit, and he says, finally, finally, brothers and sisters. Reminds me of the old church joke. What does it mean when a preacher says, and finally? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Most people know me only too well that when I say, and finally, I can then go for at least another 20 minutes on a good day. Uh, yeah. I heard someone say, yeah, very loudly. Oh, my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's really interesting, isn't it? Paul says, finally. He means finally. These are his last words to the church in Corinth. This church that he's birthed, this church that he's seen through real trauma and real joy. The joys, the highs, the kind of people turning to Christ, the city being transformed, amazing things happening, and the church pulling itself apart and leaders rising up and their tensions and difficulties and people falling off away from truth into heresies and into kind of bad living. And he's had to write to them and address them and challenge them and love them as a father and try and pull them back and encourage them and build them up. He's done all that. And he gets to this point and he's finally... My final words to you. These are his final words, and they're going to be my final words. We, hear to, we heard today those, those last, those four verses that we heard. And he writes to, do you hear what he says? Finally, brothers and sisters, it's family. That's what church is always supposed to be. Family, brothers and sisters. That's his church in Corinth. They're family, and you clearly are family for us. My title today is Goodbye and God Bless, which is quite a good way of signing off in some ways, isn't it? And in, this, in these few little verses, Paul, I think, does three things. He gives a final challenge to the church in Corinth. He gives a final salute to them. And he offers a final prayer for them. So what are these final instructions? What's this final? What's, what does he really, after all the things he's taught, after all the things he's seen, after all the things he's experienced, what does he want to say that's really imperative to this church in Corinth? And to us, is it some new revelation? You know, this is a man who's seen incredible revelation and miracles. Is it some new insight or some new teaching? No, he simply calls them to one thing. Unity. Oneness. And in the context of that, he tells them to rejoice. Rejoice. Man, we live in, you know, Mark was praying, we live in days that are really complicated. Simon Gillibo said this, if you were here last Sunday night, and I 100% echo it. It's good to listen to the news, to be aware so that we can pray, but do not be sucked in by the news and by media, which will absolutely kill your soul. 
because all you hear is bad news. And often it's got a twist on it as well. But what you hear is there are incredible stories of grace and miracles. I, I keep hearing amazing things happening in Iran. People having, and in, and in Afghanistan, people having visions of Jesus and whole communities turning to Christ. There are incredible things happening across the world. Of course, you're never going to hear about that in the media. But there are amazing things happening. So let's hear the news so that we know how to pray for our world. <clears throat> but let's not be swallowed by it. Because what happens is we lose our ability to rejoice because all we hear is bad news. Whereas actually there's lots of good things that we can rejoice in. And Paul says to his church there, don't forget to rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Tim's leaving, rejoice. That will be easy for many of you, I'm sure. But we need to rejoice. His heart plea for them and mine for you is simple but really profound. It's like he's saying, if you want to continue to fill my heart with joy, just keep walking with the Lord and stay faithful to him. The things that you believed while I was there, says Paul, well, keep doing them now while I'm not there. Nothing changes. I'm not going to be with you any longer, says Paul, but your Father in heaven is with you all the time. And he'll be watching over you, be leading you, he'll be inspiring you and blessing you and longs for you to work out together his purpose amongst you as you give him honor and as you serve him. So Paul pleads, and it's a funny phrase actually, it's translated different ways in the Bible. Jan read it and this is what it says in the NIV. It's, Paul pleads, aim for restoration. Um, lots of translations, kind of a lot more of the original translations say, aim for perfection, which sounds depressingly complicated and difficult. But actually, it's not talking about just, just be good, be good. It's, it's not that. Actually, in the Greek, what it's trying to say is he's saying, put things right that are wrong between people. He's particularly pleading for that congregation. Where there's broken things between you, put them right. Don't put it off. Don't leave it. Don't think, oh, well, time will heal it. No. Sort it out. Get right with each other get right with God. Aim for restoration. Always look to be a bridge builder than a bridge burner because that's God's heart. It speaks of relational wholeness. When I, just before I became a leader here, I, I read a book, I know Victoria and Peter know, know about it as well, it's called The, uh, the uh, Emotionally Healthy Church. Is that where I'm looking for Victoria? I remember what it's called. Yeah, The Emotionally Healthy Church. I read it a few, many years ago. It's really helpful, but talking about you know, how much broken there, brokenness there is in churches. And in us, get things right. That speaks of maturity. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul urges the church. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions amongst you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul's heart is for their oneness. And if you know anything about me, you'll know my longing is for that. As far as I'm concerned, there's one church in the city. There's one church that Jesus is coming back for. We're part of one church. And, it, and it's tragic, and it breaks my heart when I see division between churches. doesn't mean we have to be the same. Not at all. A beautiful garden's filled with all sorts of plants, isn't it? But there needs to be a sense of oneness and celebration of the other. When I came here, my heart was to honor St. Thomas Beckett and traditional worship. I said to the 8 a.m.ers this morning, You've heard me say it many times. When I arrived in the parish, I did not know that 8 o'clock existed on a Sunday morning. It was a shock to my system. And I went there at the first 8 o'clock service, put all these funny clothes on, didn't know what I was doing, felt like a, an extra from the Vicar of Dibley. And I discovered to my shock 
that God was there at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning at St. Thomas of Becca in the most beautiful way. And I thought, this is good. We're going to not just do this once a month. We're going to do this twice a month. And we're going to do it on Thursdays as well. And we kind of changed that. So a beauty in that. So we celebrate difference and we enjoy one another. doesn't mean we all have to be the same. Paul urged them to be together. And he understood that factions and divisions pulls things apart. They had been through all sorts of challenges. If you remember the, the, two, the two letters, all sorts of brokenness and arguments and divisions. And unity is such a fragile thing. It's like a baby chick holding it in your hand or a fragile flower. It can be crushed so easily. In the church, remember, you had some people saying, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. They, they, they follow different people. And people do have different styles and different personalities and different temperaments and all the rest of it. And people gravitate to different people. But Paul's saying, be whole in yourself. If something's broken, fix it. If something tears relationally, try and mend it. If you can't do it by yourself, then get someone to help you, someone who you trust. Do it as family. Don't leave things unattended. And that's part of the journey that we commit to as, as mature Christians. And I take that really seriously. So for myself, every year, you know, I, I, I've got people I'm accountable to in the city, leaders, le leaders like the remarkable Steve here, Steve and Jan, such mother and father, grandfather in the faith. <laughs> you know, these guys are amazing. They're leaders in the city who serve and give. And I make myself accountable to people like these. And we, we do that together with one another. And I say, you know, if you see stuff in my heart that's wrong, then call it out because I don't want to keep it there. That's why I'll often go on kind of father heart weekends to constantly check my heart. Where, Lord, are there things in my heart that need to be resolved? We all need help and we can't do it and we're not supposed to do it on our own. That's why the Wild at Heart ministry that we, that we have here with Andrew and others is so key. So that men, we actually take seriously the pursuit of giving our heart to God and letting him heal us. Next, Paul says, encourage or comfort one another. It's actually in the passive voice those of you that are linguists know what that means. It means that allow yourself to be comforted. Encourage each other, but allow yourself to be open to that, to be encouraged and built up. Remain soft-hearted, says Paul. Don't get hard. Be open. Don't isolate yourself. And assume that you've got blind spots, because we all do. And that others around you have things that will help you with those blind spots. We need each other. That's why as a church we're passionate about soul groups here and there's the kind of tea uh, with the word up at St. Tom's and we have small groups and prayer triplets. Those groups are the lifeblood of any church. A service on a Sunday is great, but the real church is the community that meets in homes and households and over a dinner table. That was true for the Old Testament and it's true for today. Community is everything. And I know and understand that my leaving and Sarah's leaving and us as a family going is really tough and maybe confusing and bewildering. But my goal as a teacher and as a leader and as a pastor and as an apostle has never been to attach this church to myself, but to attach you and me to Christ. That should be the role of any leader, that it shouldn't be about the leader, follow me. A good leader should always say, follow Jesus. Point away from yourself. So when I leave, nothing changes. You'll hear me shouting from up on the hill in Southstoke because I'm not going that far away. Keep following Jesus. Keep running after him. Attach yourself to Christ and no one else. 
And our church, and I see this at St. Thomas of Beckett in the amazing community there, and I see it in St. Matt's and in the Soul Group Life, has an incredible network of love and support and encouragement. Care for one another, support one another. And if you feel lonely, tell someone. I know that's vulnerable, but reach out. There are people here who want to hold you and encourage you through difficult times. And you're going to need that because the church is facing unparalleled crisis in these days. The Church of England is being shaken in ways that's never been shaken, perhaps since when it begun. And I think bigger shakings are to come, going to face difficult times. And so we need each other. And the church at large in the nation faces those same challenges. And the next two commands of Paul can be paired together. Be of one mind and live in peace. That doesn't mean that you have to agree on every single item. My wife and I are alike in lots of ways. We can both be very stubborn. She's looking at me now. But we definitely operate differently. We have different ideas. Different ideas about decorating the house. What is the color green? I have a very different opinion on what is the color green compared to Sarah, so I'm regularly told by Sarah. We have different opinions on cars, on food shopping, choices, on budgeting on what colors go together when I'm going out on an evening. We have very different opinions on that sort of things. I mean, the list could go on, right? And ask Sarah, she'll give you a lot later on. We do disagree on different things. But love covers over all of that. Love finds a way. And you'd be amazed, perhaps you wouldn't be amazed, perhaps you've experienced this, the things that can cause divisions in churches. Tragedy, when we were in Bristol, I knew of a church, it wasn't connected to it, but I knew of a church that split over the issue of whether candles should be used, and if so, how many and when. I mean, it's madness. You kind of want to laugh, but actually, you really want to cry that a church can split over that, and it completely came apart at the seams. You know, what manifested as that, no doubt, there was deeper issues, weren't there? So we want to avoid strong opinions on secondary issues because the big ones in these days really need our unified attention together. And the church needs a clarion, clear voice in these days. And it is going to be complicated. Stay in the word. Hold on to the word of God. That's everything. Pray continually. Don't give up praying. And depend and listen to the Holy Spirit for every step, not just the big steps into the future, but you know, my increasing prayer every day is, Lord, would you just lead my next few steps? I don't actually know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. I might have a lie-in, actually, tomorrow. But beyond that, I don't know what I'm... Sarah's like, you're not having a lie-in. There's about a million things we need to do. But do I know the way ahead? Possibly. Does God know the way ahead? Absolutely. He is the shepherd who leads us. We have to trust him and depend on the Holy Spirit and be patient with each other. Remembering the big thing is worshipping our king and serving him. And if you do these things, pursuing peace as you trust God, you find a glorious promise. The God of love and peace will be with you. Our God is a God of all comfort. He's the father of all comfort. You'll hear me talking about the father all the time. I love the father. God the Father, when I became a Christian, it was a revelation for me to understand that God was a father who loved me. I read a really helpful book called The The Father Heart of God by Floyd McClung. It's a really old book now. But I thought God was on a cloud looking at me, shaking his head. 
I really did for many, many years. And then I discovered that God was a father who loved me and who wanted to help me through my brokenness, but he was for me and believed in me and wanted to support me and help me become all that he wanted me to be. And that's true for every single one of you in this room. He's the good, good father, the father of all comfort who wants to support you. We're moving through quickly. We are getting there. There's this great verse. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Some of you like that more than others. I had some holy kisses on the door when I arrived. It was great. When I went to live in France for a while, <laughs> I lived in the south of France um, when I was studying. And uh, in, in Montpellier, in the south of France, it's, it's in different parts of France. I'm looking at Jan and others in France. Different numbers of kisses. Paris is two usually, is that right, isn't it? And Montpellier is three. And you always have to go the right way, otherwise you headbutt the person, first of all. That's always a little embarrassing. Three kisses in Montpellier. And, you know, when you meet friends in France, young people do that. It's actually really, really nice. You know, an English handshake is it's just a bit limp, isn't it, really? Unless someone breaks your hand when they do it. But, you know, it's a, it's a warm way of doing it. And in France, family, everyone kisses family. So when you go to an event with a big family, you're there for about, you have to allow 20 minutes at the beginning for everyone to kiss everyone else. It goes on and on and on. And in the church in France, that's what everyone does. So when I went to this church in France as an English person who had just arrived, not knowing the culture at all, I remember being grabbed by these big blokes with big bushy beards who started kissing me. I didn't have a clue why I thought I'd walked into a cult or something. The reason they do it, I didn't know these people, but they're family. The church is family. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, you don't actually have to do that, but let's be affectionate and open to one another. That's how the church is supposed to be. It gives a little glimpse into life in the church in the New Testament and to how it's supposed to be now. Church was never supposed to be a business or an institution or an archaic kind of museum or a money-making facility. Church was always supposed to be one thing, family. And it's what it needs to be today. And finally. So that, I've still got 20 minutes. <laughs> no, not really. And finally. Paul loves triplets. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now faith, hope, and love remain. These three. But the greatest of these is... Very good. Well done. You learned something. That's cool. 1 Corinthians 1, 3. We remember before our God, the Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance prompted by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He loves threes, Paul. They're all the way through the stuff. And if you know me, I love sort of 19s when I'm preaching, things like that. But here, then, this is perhaps the greatest Trinitarian passage to finish. Three distinct persons and unique roles. One God revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's his prayer. What a beautiful prayer. And it's an interesting order. I was thinking about this, but maybe it's the order that he experienced God. Do you remember Saul? He thought he, he, thought he knew God. He thought he was like, you know, this incredible super leader who was persecuting Christians and then one day on the road to Damascus on his on his donkey what happens to him bam he gets he gets completely waylaid by Jesus he has a vision of Jesus he meets Jesus the resurrected Jesus on that road he falls off his donkey everyone else runs away he goes blind he meets Jesus first of all and Jesus introduces him to the father 
the true father. Not the God he thought he knew, this God of vengeance and mighty smiting, but the God who is a father who wants to redeem and heal and transform. Jesus introduces him to the father. And having met the father, he goes to Straight Street. Remember Ananias then prays for him? And the blinds fall off his eyes and he sees clearly. He has an encounter with the Holy Spirit, I would suggest. Gets filled with the Spirit, filled with power, given a new calling and a new anointing. And then he goes off like a wound up, like a, like a rocket. It kind of goes off on this new ministry. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Grace, love, fellowship. The Son's grace. Jesus is full of grace for you right now. Whatever your circumstances, your challenges, your needs, your longings, your shattered dreams, your disappointments, Jesus has enough grace for you. And the Father's love is real and lavish and wanting to be poured out for you. And the Holy Spirit, his fellowship, he wants to draw you in close in this season to lead you and guide you. He's like the glue that holds everything together. So my prayer is that we'd all experience that as we step forward into the unknown of these next few days, weeks, months. We walk beside an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful, all-giving, always-faithful God of all comforts, And in this next season, we start remembering him as Emmanuel, don't we? God with us, always, even to the ends of the age, Jesus prayed. So my closing prayer for all of you is this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And ever. And ever. Amen.